You're listening to the New Hope Church Podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in as today's talk comes from Jason Kemp. Well, good morning again. How's everybody? How, um, how many of you ever had the chance to go to the Grand Canyon? Anybody? Grand Canyon? I'm jealous. I lived out west pretty much all my life, and I never went to the Grand Canyon. That is on our list of to-dos, because that seems like one of those just defining moments that you stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon, and life just looks different. Is that, is that true? Those of you who've been, does that just kind of feel, everything feels different after that? I've had the chance, um, you know, I lived in the Rocky Mountains in Denver for about 12 years, um, but I had the chance to go to Banff, Canada, uh, which is still part of the Rockies, right? You're just a little further north, and, you know, I was like, ah, it's the Rockies, you know, this is going to be great. It was completely different. <laughs> like, these are the same mountain range, right? And I just walked away from that experience going, wow. What an amazing experience. We got to see the Redwoods in California, and once you, you know, we have a pretty big family, (laughs) and once you try and hug a Redwood and all of you holding hands and you still can't even get close and you can't see people on the other side, it's, it's just an amazing experience. And so we have experiences in our life, we have things that happen to us that cause us to have a different outlook, cause us to have a different perspective in life. And, um, you know, for example, um, I've been avoiding County Line Road for like three weeks because I've got a bubble in my sidewall and I just, I just don't want to go downtown. Well, now all of Branch is off my list. <laughs> Fairview is getting rough. Uh, you know, now it takes 30 minutes to go 10 minutes, right? And so when you hit that pothole, right, Zach? <laughs> if you couldn't hear that online, there was a big sigh of, <sighs> um, at 12 o'clock last night, Zach is texting going, um, I think I'm stuck in Indy, um, and he's got a tire on this morning that's not his normal. So when we hit that pothole, it suddenly changes our experience in life and our outlook, and we're like, I'm willing to go way out of my way just to make it where I need to go. You know, and sometimes we have experiences that are good and bad. Um, I'm not, uh, call Zach out again, he makes fun of me because You know, Asian food, Chinese food is not high on my list. Um, But when I eat Asian, I love Kung Pao. I like that spicy. And I had the opportunity to eat Kung Pao in Chinatown from a Chinese immigrant um, restaurant. It was amazing. Changed my perspective on the whole thing. But yet here in town, I had Kung Pao at a local restaurant and I happened to break a tooth. It's not the restaurant's fault, but I'm not going back. Right? So we have experiences that change our outlook in life. And sometimes those experiences are with people. And maybe it's just somebody we run into, you know, in their workplace. We go to a restaurant or we go to, um, you know, the shopping mall. Or maybe it's in our workplace or our neighborhood or even our own families or even right here in the church. And we have experiences with somebody and maybe we just caught them on a bad day. Maybe they just got some really horrible news. Maybe they have friends or family who are struggling through some really tough stuff and they feel burdened for them. And then our experience with them in that moment just kind of is souring, goes south a little bit. And we, 
we have this new perspective about a person and we're like, you know, I don't, I don't wanna go into that situation again. But it was really just a bad day. It was really just something else. It wasn't about us. And sometimes experiences don't just change our perspective or our outlook, but they change our identity. We have good friends, um, Daniel and Jana Ross. Many of you will recognize that name. They're missionaries that we support in the Ukraine. Um, they have been over in Ukraine for a little over 10 years. Um, Donna and I, we've had the privilege of knowing the Ross family for well over 30 years. And so here are our friends who just happened to be in the States on furlough. We're not allowed to go back to Ukraine. They were supposed to return just a couple of weeks ago. They didn't go back because of the conflict. And now war has broken out. They live in the city of Kiev. They live in a, one of the apartment buildings there and reports that they are hearing from friends there in the community is that ballistic missiles are hitting apartment buildings. They don't even know if their home still exists. They don't know if they've lost everything. And if you remember just a couple of years ago, we did a, a special offering for uh, Daniel and Jana because they lost their entire home to a house fire. So the second time, in just a matter of a couple years, they may have lost everything due to war. Their friends, their family, their, the community that they live with and they minister with, they're fleeing to the western regions of Ukraine. And they're talking about, do we try and even get out of the country? Do we try and go to the states? And some of their friends are choosing to enlist and go to the front lines. One of the house parents and some of the teenagers that they work with are delivering supplies on the front lines, are enlisting into the defense of their, of their homeland. And so here's our friends, Daniel and Jana, who a little over 10 years ago said, you know, we, we kind of want to go be missionaries in another country. But it has completely changed their identity. They've spent more years in Ukraine married than they've spent in the US. They've raised their son in Ukraine it is their home, it's their people, it's, it's who God has called them to love and it has become part of their identity. And so our hearts hurt and are broken for the people of Ukraine and for our friends and the people that we've met. New Hope, we've even sent a mission team over to Ukraine to work with Safe Haven. And so things like this change our identity, it changes our root perspective on life. And that's what we're going to be diving into scripture today about. That there is an experience with Jesus that changes us at our core, changes us in our root identity. So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, you want to turn with, turn with me there or on your uh, smartphones or whatever, um, feel free to pull out your copy of God's Word. Otherwise, it'll be on the screens. And we're going to start in verses 3 through 6 today of chapter 2 of 1 John. So verses three through six say that, and we can be sure that we know him, Jesus, if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. And that is how we know that we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Zach mentioned last week that 1 John is kind of one of those books that 
super simple. It's kind of like, you know, just a, a little kiddie pool. You can get in and wade and, and you can understand the truths of it super simple and easy. But then you can drown an elephant in this. And this is one of those passages that on the surface we can go, okay, I get this. I understand this. And then we try to apply it to our lives and it's just like, oh my goodness, how do I even start? So that's what we're going to try and tackle today. That here in 1 John chapter 2, John is giving a comparison that if we say that we are in Jesus, if we say that we know Jesus, we will obey God's word. And so obedience is the natural result of knowing God. It just happens. If we truly know God, we will obey God, is what John is saying. And if you don't, you're a liar. And he's calling that that claim in our lives into challenge, into question. So we mentioned that Jesus is our great advocate, that he stands before God and he vouches for us and he says, no, this is my son, this is my daughter. They have believed in me and my grace, my forgiveness covers them in their sin. And John is saying that because we have this great advocate, because we have Jesus in our lives, this does not give us freedom to be careless towards sin. We, can, we can't just go through life going, well, you know, we've got forgiveness. Jesus is going to cover it. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to keep sinning the way I want to live my life. Because John is saying that if we truly know God, we will want to obey. That our lives are marked with grace and truth when we come to know Jesus. We talked about this in our series Imago Day a number of months ago. That we were created in the image of God. Perfect, pure, holy. But then sin entered our life and it marred that image. It destroyed that image in us and our nature then was shifted. That our, our original nature is to sin, is to desire the things that go against God. But then Jesus comes into our lives and he restores that original image in us. And so our nature is no longer to desire sin but to desire the things of God. That our disposition has changed in our hearts. That we are desiring of the things of God first. And John is saying, so if that's the case, that you see that transformation in your life, then the natural overflow is going to be obedience. And we are not completely and suddenly without sin in our lives. I wish that were true. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> that sin, no more. I live a perfect life. I'm good. I treat everybody as, you know, as uh, God would treat them. And it's not the case, unfortunately. That we are set on a journey. That we are set on a journey of, of progressing closer and closer to Jesus in our lives. That someday when we enter into eternity, yes, sin will be wiped away. But for now, our lives is a life of progression, of growing closer to Jesus, that when we consider sin, that the allure of sin is gone now. That if we truly have met Jesus and we want to obey God's word, that allure of sin is gone. We no longer want to brag about our sin. We no longer want to start planning and thinking about and, you know, and kind of premeditating our sin. We no longer want to remember sin fondly. We think of the times that we were living in sin and we, I'm not proud of that anymore. It wasn't a good time. That the enjoyment of sin just kind of loses its flavor. 
And it's no longer what we thought it was in our lives. And the habits that we've fallen into of sins that we just keep doing over and over and over and over, that God's word wants to, it it creates in us a desire to break those patterns, to break those habits. Charles Spurgeon has a great quote talking about this, that the Christian no longer lives in sin, that sin should be the object of his sternest horror. He no longer regards it as a mere trifle. He no longer plays with it or talks about it uh, with unconcern. That sin is dejected in the Christian's heart, though it is not ejected. Did you catch that? Sin is dejected even though it's not ejected from our hearts. Sin may enter the heart and fight for dominion, but it cannot sit upon the throne any longer See, when we invite Jesus into our lives, when we we encounter God and we follow his word, we're asking God to take control of our, we we ask him to sit on the throne of our our lives. And sin is gonna battle, it's gonna fight, it's gonna try and gain dominion and we're not gonna be perfect at, at running away from sin. But it will never have the opportunity to sit on the throne of your life because Jesus sits there. John is challenging us to look at our lives. That if the evidence of our lives is that we follow, we obey, we strive for the things of God in our lives, that if our life does not align with that truth, John says we're a liar. That if we claim to know God, but we do not have the evidence of obedience in our lives, we are a liar. Because there's a difference between knowing God and knowing about God, right? Knowing God is having a relationship, but knowing about God, we can can understand God's word. We can understand the history, the theology, the doctrine. We can understand the morals, the ethics. We can even love those things. We can even strive for those things in our lives. We can say, you know, Jesus, he did a really good job of teaching how to love one another, and I want to follow that. But knowing about Jesus is different than actually knowing Jesus. James says that even the demons hear the name of Jesus and they they quiver in fear. Knowing about Jesus is not the same of knowing Jesus. When we truly know Jesus, our lives will result in obedience to his truth and his word. John goes on and gives us a second measure in verses 7 through 11. He says, dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment to you. Rather, it's an old one that you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message that you've heard before. Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment and you are also living it. For the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims, I am living in the light but hates a fellow believer, That person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. So John challenges us first to say, you know, if you're not obeying God's word, then you're a liar. And now John is saying that if you don't love one another, you're blind. 
You claim to walk in the light, but you're just walking in darkness. And that the, this command to love one another, it's been around since the start. This is not a, a new commandment because if you think about the Ten Commandments, over half of those are devoted to how we treat others. But now, John is saying, we have an example in Jesus. We've known this command to love one another. We've known this command, but we've never fully understood it. We've never fully seen it lived out, but now we've seen Jesus. And so this command is all new again because of his example. And as I read this, my first question is, why is John talking about loving our brothers and sisters in Christ? What about those outside the church? Or what about our enemies? I mean, why is John just referencing those within our spiritual family? And one commentary that I read that I really resonated with was maybe John is talking about the fact that he's observed how Christians treat one another as unusually negative and condemning of each other. That we are harder on our own than we are those who are outside the faith. That it's, it's pretty plain, Jesus said, love your enemies. Okay, well, I guess I shouldn't hate my enemy. I gotta figure out how to love in the midst of this, you know, having an enemy. And it's easy to look at people outside the faith and go, you know, I don't like the way they live. I don't like the sin, but they haven't accepted God's truth. So it makes sense that they may not live the way I would expect them to live. And so it's easy to kind of look at it that way. But within the church though, we tend to hold others to a standard that John is saying may not be godly. Zach mentioned the quote last week. I think it was from Gandhi. Correct me if I'm wrong because I didn't fact check this, sorry. <laughs> that Gandhi said, I love your Christ, but I don't, I don't like your Christians. Because even people outside of the faith have looked at the church and looked at us as, as Christians and say, you know, I see how Jesus lived his life. I see how he loved, how he cared for one another. And his people are nothing like that. Other verses, I think it's in Galatians, talk about how we, how we bite and devour one another. We can be known to inflict scars on one another in the name of Jesus. Or I was just speaking the truth in love. But yet we're scarring, we're hurting one another. And we're creating that enmity between us. That sometimes it's a political view. Something that was said on Facebook, Instagram, or something like that, that we like, oh, that was careless, that was ridiculous. Maybe it's a parenting style, something that someone else has done for their kids or didn't do for their kids or how they raised their son or daughter. Or maybe it's a lifestyle, something that they chose to purchase and we look at each other in the church and we're like, that was... That was stupid. Why would you do that? If you truly love Jesus, you wouldn't do that. Sometimes it's what we wear or what we don't wear or traditions that we follow or not follow or you know, preferences that we, we want to see in our, in our church, in our homes, and we just don't see it. And so we silently judge one another. We look at each other with judgment and we build up walls between one another. And I just want to say, I'm not talking about 
anyone specifically in this church or even New Hope in specific, but this is our church at large in our nation, in the West specifically. That we judge one another. We let walls be built between our relationships. We, we let gossip run rampant where we're talking about these things and saying, well, you know, did you see this? Did you notice that? Is that, you know, did I perceive that just right? You know, we should pray for so-and-so because they're doing... And we're not loving one another. But instead, we are leaning into this hatred that John is talking about. And hatred doesn't have to be active. Indifference, distance, it's just passive hatred, right? When we choose to not acknowledge somebody, that's just passive aggressive hatred. It's unfortunate that the personality of the church in our nation today is often that, you know, if you had a rancher and his horse fell in a ditch and broke its leg, the rancher takes a look at the horse and evaluates, can we save the leg? Can we bandage it? Can we get it back to the, can we get it back to the barn? Can we, can we save him or do I need to just put my trusted horse out of his misery? But as a church, often in America, we, we have someone fall in a ditch who breaks their leg. We force them up out of the ditch, back on the road, carrying the same load, carrying the same burden, and we start kicking them in the good leg because they're, now they're limping and you're showing your weakness and we're just gonna kick you and beat you up until we finally make it back. Love is active. Love demonstrates itself to one another at all times. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not proud. Love is not rude. Love is not demanding or irritable. Love does not keep a record of being wronged. Love rejoices over the truth, not over injustice. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful and it will endure through every circumstance. Imagine if our lives as Christians, our families, our neighborhoods, our church, our community, imagine that if love overflowed from our lives in the way that John is talking about, imagine the difference that that would make. But unfortunately, our lack of love for one another inside the church sometimes it nullifies our ability to love outside of the church. So John is saying a huge challenge to us. If you know God, then love is the natural outflow of knowing God. Just like obedience. Obedience is gonna be the natural result and love is gonna be the outflow of who you are. So where do we go from here? This is, this is a tough passage, I know. How do we put this into action? How do we, how do we drown that elephant at this point? Because this is all easy stuff to understand that, okay, if you know God, you're gonna obey. If you know God, you're gonna love. But how do we do it? 
Because John uses some really strong language here saying that if you're not obeying, you're a liar. And if you're not loving, you're blind. You're blind to the truth. And remember, God is not expecting perfection out of us. There's no way for us to get an A++++ grade on living a life without sin and being perfectly loving to one another. God's expectation is, are we on the journey? Are we making progress? Are we taking steps to be just a little bit closer, a little bit more like Jesus each and every day? Romans 12, verse two says, do not copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. That transformation is gradual, it's step by step. It's a progression along the way. And our world breeds division. Our world breeds conflict and stress and hatred and judgment and lies. Our world challenges us to go against the very things of God. So are we gonna copy the ways of our world? We know the activities in our lives, if we're honest. If we take a moment to reflect over our last couple of days, we know the activities in our lives that help breed those things in us. Whether it's conflict or tension or hatred or deception or lies, we know the things that speak into our lives each and every day in our culture. So what are we doing to just take that one small step closer to Jesus? Because it's easy to take a look at, you know, what God wants us to be and here is this, this beautiful picture of perfection that we'll someday obtain, sure, in eternity, but I'm way over here. And my personality is to look at a project, you know, not just how I live my life, but any project, whether it's a creative project or a sermon or a song or anything, and I look at it and I think, you know, if I can't get 90% of perfection in this, if I can't succeed 90%, I'm not gonna start. I'm not gonna venture halfway down this road and then go, no, that didn't work. I'm just not gonna move. And so there's this picture of who we wanna be, sure. But don't let that intimidate you. Don't let that create a barrier in our lives of like, well, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna be able to read the Bible through in a year. Good grief much less start two months late and, you know, catch up. Good grief, man, that's just too much. I'm not gonna make it. But could you read through the book of John? Could you pick Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, four small little books in the middle of the New Testament, and read through those this year? What is the one small step that you can be doing to get you a little bit closer to Jesus? The Bible says to pray at all times, Never cease praying. Well, I, I don't know how I'm gonna do that. You know, because there's this in my day and that. Well, what about two minutes? What about two minutes tomorrow morning that I will just pause and intentionally just focus on Jesus? I might not even have any words to say, but I'm just gonna pause for two minutes and let Jesus know that time is for him. What's that one small step? You know, there's no way that... There's no way that I can go on 
a mission trip to Ukraine right now. I mean, COVID one, war number two, you know, we can't take a team back to Ukraine. And so I, I just don't know how I'm gonna serve in mission right now. So I'm just not gonna do it. What about that one small step of giving one evening over at the food bank? Or serving a family in need and, and just delivering a dinner to their home? Or inviting someone out to coffee and just saying, hey, I got 30 minutes, you wanna sit and chat? Being on mission doesn't mean we have to go to the big extremes every time. Or volunteering, you know, serving in the church, that's another part of our discipleship pathway that you can volunteer and serve, but, you know, I just don't know that I could give two Sundays a month to the kid men ministry. You know, two Sundays, I don't think I could give that up. But could you just do one this quarter? Could you maybe just help um, with with some of the hospitality of getting kids checked in. 15, 20 minutes and we're done. What is that first step? What is that one little step that we can make to be a little bit closer to Jesus? Just to be maybe 1% closer. We don't have to make strides of 10, 50, 75% in one day, or maybe just 0.01%. I know I'm horrible at this. I've strung days, weeks, months together, whatever, that I've put a lot of zeros between the decimal and the one. (laughs) Sometimes I go backwards. We're not perfect. But God is asking, what is the next step? What is the next little step that you can take to be a little bit closer to Jesus today? So I've got a couple questions for you that as we sit in a moment of, of just stillness, Two questions for you to consider. Number one, if you claim to know Jesus, does your life show the evidence of obedience and love? And again, perfection is not the answer, but the progression toward a goal is. So are you showing the evidence of obedience and love in your life? And secondly, what's one small step that I can do today when I go home? put a reminder somehow to do it tomorrow, this week, what is one small thing that I can do to live in the light? Because I don't wanna be a liar, I don't wanna be blinded by the darkness. How do I take that one small step toward Jesus? Let's take a moment um, as you meditate on these questions, consider God's word and let's uh, just pray to God and I'll close this here in just a moment. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.